Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Welcome back to another episode of the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. Again, I sit here with my teacher and my mentor and my friend on the path, Bhavani Maki, and it's just such a really wonderful um, moment in time that we get to sit in conversation together. So thank you for being here with me. Thanks, Shanae. It's always a pleasure sitting with you. My first question for you today is about practicing on the path of yoga, the path of transformation. And what do I do (laughs) after I've been going on for a while when I feel stuck? And for me, it's really uncomfortable to feel stagnant or feel like I'm not progressing in some way, feel like I can't go on or I don't want to go on, or when I'm questioning what if what I'm doing is no longer working. Yes. Um, and those are, those are natural occurrences, you know, as far as the steadiness and when you feel like you're not really gaining traction or you've hit a wall or you've hit a plateau. Um, I believe it's Sutra 130. It's always fun to do that on one breath. But the last two, and, you know, depending on the translators, they sometimes allocate them to different challenges, um, but they cover them all. And Alabdapumikatva and Anavastitatvani are the... um, 
backsliding or the inability to find traction and anavasti tatvani, the inability to find a refined state. And Vyasa, who was the first translator of Patanjali, he says, in those cases, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. Sometimes we're, you know, and this is this is a pressure that we feel as teachers as well. Like, how can I uh, present this? How can I make it juicy, etc.? But you know, there's there's so much to discover and things that we feel like we already know. And so, just by going back to that kind of the more foundations, we can drop more into the breath and really explore. I mean, I had the most transcendental practice yesterday, walked in with my agenda and I ended up doing um, swastikasana for like 40 minutes. And literally it was, I mean, sure. I felt my body, the, the pose held a context for the, for it, but I went into these deep, deep, deep states of shedding and release. Um, So, you know, it might be a reframing of like, what is my approach? Am I still trying to attain something? Am I coming from a, from a place of grasping? How do I even hold my practice? Hmm. My teacher Rama would always say, we, we, we hold the postures to hold the mind, to steady the mind. So, um, you know, we, we don't want to confuse like our yoga practice as a workout and Patanjali is really clear. And it's like, it's not about what you can attain, but what you can throw away. I, I really have discovered for myself that by integrating other aspects of, um, you know, my learning, for instance, the sutra, they really bring to life the practices that the practices authenticate the sutra. And then the sutra open up new possibilities because we tend to be shtula or more coarse and obvious in our understanding. And it's about sukshma. So, you know, to be able to drop in into something that's really basic is very stimulating. Another thing that Patanjali um, recommends is get up earlier. And that can be really hard. I remember there was a phase after, um, you know, Nico and the slept, sleep deprivation. And I think it was about four years old and he was sleeping really pretty well. Um, but I had kind of adopted this new modality of exhaustion and I knew I was getting enough sleep, but I, you know, I somehow just recalled back from back in the day when I used to get up at four in the morning and there was some kind of a wave that was on current um, about, you know, people who committed to 40 mornings waking up at four in the morning and how it potentiates your day. It's definitely tapas. It's definitely hard when that alarm goes off, but being able to carve time out for the ritual of practice um, I also think because you're a little bit more tired in some ways that you're a little bit less, you know, clinging or overreaching and you can really drop into these deep, deep states. But yeah, having that and then, of course, um, you know, just the pressure of life, um, you know, really seeing it as being a refuge. Of course, you know, if you're lucky enough to not be an anatta, 
to have a teacher who inspires you, you know, somebody who continues that learning. And I, I know for myself, as long as I'm learning, and I've gone down many rabbit trails, I've been deeply interested, as you know, in Ida Rolf's um, techniques, you can pick up books and things or work with mentors that are in um, sister fields, and then it brings so much new perspective to what you're doing. But it's really typical that you're going to kind of plateau at certain times or even backslide where you lose traction. Um, when we can look at the larger arc, we'll understand that that's all party, uh, part of the steady progress. And those are the moments when we can redouble our efforts, but without tension. Um, you know, if we slack off too much, I think we all notice how we just feel loaded in life and all of our life begins to deteriorate. So Patanjali says the advanced student knows that like having that ongoing ritual that opens us up to grace, which implies that, you know, it's not totally up to us. There's kind of a moment of synchronicity where, where we'll have like, oh my God, I had a breakthrough and you never know when it could happen. But, you know, by, by taking on that ritual, um, it makes us available. We're so often we're distracted by the cross currents of our own consciousness, the vritti and the complexities of life. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and so you mentioned a little bit, but this was my next question about the three calibers of student and teacher. And you make reference to the fact that a high caliber student needs only hear instruction once and the point gets in. And then, so my first question is, can you, can you speak a little bit more about the three calibers and we can even just say practitioner? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in Sutra 22, first chapter, it speaks about the mild or the lukewarm student, the medium student, and then the one who's really on fire. So Madhya and Adimatra, respectively. Um, so it's very interesting to look at this sutra and realize that over your life, you're going to be, your estimation of what you think advanced is, is going to change. So I know for me, it meant like doing an exhaustive and exhausting practice for many years. And now for me, it's totally different. If I lose track of time, um, you know, there's these deep layers of release that are engaged. I'm engaging in the release. It's um, release alludes to the fact that it's not something that just happens without effort. Um, the, and when I when I finish and I feel lighter and I feel restored in my wholeness, that's a good practice. So it's going to change throughout life. And I, I think it's important that we don't look at this through a Victorian lens of, um, of judging ourselves, but it's more a way of like evaluating ourselves and also encourage, encouraging ourselves. So the, the mildest or fee feeblest of 
practitioners, um, it said they don't even embark. <laughs> but they always may say, you know, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to get to yoga. I think I'm going to do it in 2024 or something like that. Or, um, you know, they're waiting for a certain alignment of planets. There's kind of magical thinking and procrastination or even, you know, the right teacher who's going to show them the way. So there, there's a tendency to evade, to look for simple solutions to complex problems. And, um, you know, the need for validation comes from the outside. So uh, I think it was Iyengar who said, the journey is finished before it even begins, is that mild student. Where the middling student understands the importance of inner peace but they're still pretty busy. They, they, you know, and oftentimes our busyness is something that we do unconsciously to really avoid sitting with ourselves and sitting face to face with our stuff. Um, so it's not a top priority, but they realize its validity. And they're unclear in their distinctions between their means and their goals. So, Whenever a challenge arises, they drop their practice. And I remember um, my friend Sherry Cassidy, who edited my book, she shared that she went to a, a Krishna Das gathering and he had time afterwards for questions. And one of the students said, well, what about those days when you just don't feel like doing your practice? And Krishna Das is usually pretty, you know, demure and whatnot. He got very agitated and his eyes opened wide and his, his voice, you know, increased in volume. And he said, it's not about you. <laughs> so, you know, realizing that like for the harmony in the home, for the harmony in the world, um, you know, there's so much neuroscience that, that corroborates this, that we do the practice because it's a way of working with our nervous system and we evolve the collective nervous system. So many people, so, you know, unless we're clear about where our challenges are and how they're just going to continue to manifest in our lives until we deal with them on the, on the internal level. And a lot of that is just stored as, um, you know, being over-boundaried or under-boundaried, et cetera. Um, and, you know, and so this implies that there's going to be some psychoanalysis evolved to do this kind of work. Um, but it, it really shuts us down and we're less likely to perceive things clearly. We have more neuroception. And neuroception is where we're storing trauma or unmetabolized um, issues in our body and all something has to do is brush up against it and it throws us back into that full-blown trauma or memory so you know we're not actually perceiving things as they are things are bumping up against our issues so having that clarity um and, and I, I'd also like to add that you know there's the mildly mild, medium mild, and intensely mild. So there's subcategories within each of these. Yeah. And then the highest acumen student, they're, they're inspired. And sometimes, you know, and we have to feed our inspiration. 
So this is really where we engage in our process. And the, the prior sutra, some say this is a fourth caliber. Some say it's more descriptive of the third caliber. It says, Tivra Samveganam Asanaha. And Samveganam is also a Buddhist term. And it means your passion to let go. So this is someone who is committed. They're fully committed. And it's like a marriage. It isn't always great. It isn't always fun. But there is a level of like, okay, in sickness and in health, um, you know, we're, we're going to work and we're going to grow and we're going to collaborate together in our lives and really develop intimacy. So there's, you know, just like stepping into any relationship, there's some sacrifice. And we sacrifice for what is to come. We make an offering. It's not, it's not like cutting off parts of ourself, but it's clearing space again, clearing holy and sacred space. So, you know, when we get clear in what really matters in our life, that becomes the fuel for us. Um, you know, we're, we're aware of the meaning and purpose of our life. And we, we remember that our internal equanimity is what empowers us to face obstacles and also to extract the nectar in life. So we are invested and we're committed. I would say the largest challenge for most people is this sense of being vicina, of being hot and cold, or even of being just really um, casual. The first sutra says anushasanam. Nam means love, respect. Like this is a practice of love. It's a practice of devotion. And sure, it's not always going to be super high highs. In fact, that can be a that's considered one of the one of the, the challenges. It's not about those spiritual highs necessarily, but how we integrate those insights into our life and how we manage the day-to-day nitty-gritty of our lives. So yeah, that advanced student is really able to let things go where other people would maybe like hold on to excuses or transfer with shame and blame. There's a wonderful story about the sage Tulsi Das. I don't know if I've shared it yet with you, but it said that he separated from his beloved by the river Ganga. And he just sees her, you know, in the distance at the top of this great tower. And he's, there's nothing coming between him and his beloved. So he finds a boat on the river and he stewards the boat to get to her. And then he sees there's a rope hanging and he climbs the rope um, to get to the top of this tower. And when he embraces her and he says, my darling, I'm here, you know, let's never be separated again. She looks at him and she says, shame on you. You should have given that love to your devotion to God. And he thanks her for awakening his love for the divine. And then he leaves her. So what he comes to realize is what he thought was a boat to cross the river was a corpse. And what he thought was a rope was a huge venomous serpent. 
So when we have our why, the how will present itself. And that's really what the Yoga Sutra give us is the how. It's it's a working manual. Very much so, so, so that when we hit a wall or we kind of fizzle out, we can get some renewed inspiration, you know, and like, oh yeah, this is why, this is how it works and this is why it matters. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So how, my second part of this question is how do I, how does one increase the capacity to remember to stay committed? To remember to stay committed? Yeah. Or eat, like remember to remember to practice <laughs> and remember, you know, to stay committed. Cause often it's like, you know, yeah, life gets in the way and it's like, I'm inspired by this, you know, 40 days at 4am. Why not? And there are some people that, that don't have that kind of passion that maybe have never experienced that passion, but like the capacity, like increasing one's capacity to have that, to stay committed, to remember, to remember. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, um, there's a ripening process. And I think that eventually, you know, I would have students say to me, oh, I've been meaning to come to yoga. I really want to come to yoga. And when I was more snarky back in the day, I used to say, don't worry, eventually you won't have a choice. And, you know, because it's kind of true. I mean, we all at some point, there's just the natural deterioration that occurs in our bodies. Um, if we're going to develop self-care, we have to take ourselves on. So some of us come in with a really strong desire. I know you did. I know I did. Um, it was very much, you know, from the, the field that I had been grown in and trying to find coherency in my life. But how do you, I mean, there are studies that say the more that you learn about something, the deeper your interest becomes. I think there's a big issue with the commitment phobia. So, you know, if you have your why, and sometimes it's not something that you can put your finger on, but it's just knowing that what you've been doing isn't working, that I'm going to try something different. And we know that if we try it for a certain number of days, we burn a new neuropathway, we're going to kind of get out of that old inertia and I think that's really helpful. Um, and honestly, you know, having like had a practice since I'm nine and I'm going to be 55 in a few months, you know, having a practice isn't something that's happened every day. There's been times where it's waned because it had to, because I had, you know, other concerns like a, a, a child that needed my support or trying to get pregnant and knowing that I had to back off. Sometimes it was sheer laziness or distraction, but I can say that every time I come back, I fall deeper in love with the whole process of yoga. And I'm just like, Oh my God, why haven't I been doing this? So that, you know, just understanding, you know, this, that, that, the shortest 
path between two points is never a straight line. It's going to be like this. Um, Of course, I'm a, a deep believer in the Yoga Sutra because they're there to inspire us. They're there to, you know, help us develop deeper inquiry. And the more curious we are, the more we're going to engage and learn. But again, it has to um, so much deal with how we hold the idea of our practice. And I feel like that's where the sutra are so helpful as well as like getting us to get clearer and clearer. So maybe it looked like one thing, but as we, you know, develop a a deeper relationship, we discover a more um, clear impulse behind it. Yeah, thank you. That's really useful, I find, (laughs) because it, it is a process of getting clear and the unburdening process in all of it. It's just, yeah. And the Yoga Sutra brings me to my next question is that this path of yoga, as I'm learning it from you, is a multidiscipline approach. And Patanjali was an Ayurvedic physician, a psychologist and a grammarian, the study of language and how potent and important that is. So it's not only asana, and there's a lot to be said here in this question. So just, you know, go with it and we can unpack it as much or as little as we want today. But I find that often when someone says, you know, a yoga class, it's a yogasana class, which is great. It's the physical postures, perhaps a little breathing, usually not. But this multidiscipline approach from Patanjali is asana and meditation and breath work and the use of uh, plants and herbs and psychotherapy and all of this combined. So can you talk more about that? (laughs) One, how you incorporate these elements in your teaching work or do you? And where does one get instruction in these other areas of yoga beyond the yoga asana? Really wonderful question. Um, You know, do I pull all of that off in a single class? I don't know. Um, You know, and again, this is that sense of like commitment, which is really a reciprocal relationship because as we've discussed, the teacher pulls the wisdom out of the student and the student pulls the wisdom out of the teacher. So this is very much like a sutra within itself where there's a sacred circle. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of revisit your last question as well when I do this. We all need a source of energy. So when we connect to that desire or, you know, which is seated within each of us that we have something really unique within us. And it's, it's like pushing on us from the inside out. It won't allow us to go into a static state. You know, it becomes very painful to suppress that stuff. And that's the, that's the, it accelerates the aging process and the dying process. People become a shadow of who they are. So being connected to that source and then having the circle of the teacher, the student, the teachings, 
and this source, whether we call it, you know, the one or God or love or unity, whatever we might want to call it, this is what creates like this, this uh, field of resonance. Um, so when we have, you know, it's such a gift to be able to find someone and something that you want to study for a long period of time. And the way that we approach it also has to be something that is compassionate because it takes a lot of courage to to disencumber ourselves from the excuses, from the, the shame behind the excuses, the blame, et cetera. So, it, it, you know, we need to have compassion for ourselves in that letting go process and having community that, that can hold us accountable as well. Um, you know, this is where the online sutra thing has been so rich and potent because people who study with me, you know, maybe they say they're my student, but they haven't been in a class of mine for many years. Um, they can come into the online sutra mentorship, even if they've studied the sutras and the conversations that happen, we, all of these things start to come in. So, you know, it's very interesting in the West where yoga has become synonymous with a sticky mat. We know that yoga is so much bigger and really having the sutra there is what reminds us of it. It's, it's the, it's the textbook. It's the guide for us. Um, so, you know, certainly by teaching asana and sharing the sutra, and I have some students who share the sutra without ever saying the sutra, which is, you know, some people really love that. They maybe are turned off by the Sanskrit, but maybe they start to get more curious about what's really going on. And, and why I love the, the Sanskrit does it, there's so many layers there, right? Then we need to have time also for the conversations. And I also think this is why people get really like um, lackluster in their practice is they don't have the conversations. So in the context of the sutra, and it's like a, um, it's like a thumbnail sketch of the yogic experience in which we can pull from our experiences, um, you know, we can share our challenges, we can also revisit things and discover kind of like, you know, jewels or insights there, we might see a pattern that we didn't recognize before. And it really, they're like prompts for the deeper conversation, which then pulls the insights out of you. If we're having a functional practice in which we're doing the somatics and we're integrating the psychology, it's natural and it's necessary that we're going to revisit our own life story, you know, what we call our karma. And then we're going to hire somebody um, who's really skilled in that and go into go into the psychotherapy because it becomes evident that like, wow, my neuroses are really blowing up here on the mat. How do I deal with this? And, you know, it's, it's appropriate to go to different practitioners who specialize in those areas. 
you know, then we might find that we, we are curious about Ayurveda and anybody who's worth their salt as an Ayurveda, you know, facilitator is going to also integrate some asana within it. Um, so yoga really means the whole and all of those parts are in it. The wonderful thing is that we'll never get to it all. But if we can have a, um, well, just a container or a community that is willing to grow together, there's going to be time for these questions. And again, I think when people are just, you know, dropping in and dropping out, um, they're casual in their approach, they don't sit with the information long enough that the, the process of inquiry deepens. And by the way, this is one of the ways that Patanjali describes that very high acumen student is that they are willing to sit with the questions instead of trying to find the answer because they know that the question is what extrudes the juice from their experience and from their practice. So being in that state, and um, Rama would say, you know, the advanced student hears the prana behind the words. We can get hung up on the words. We can get hung up on the thought process, which occurs in words. But it's really about um, pratyaksha, about direct experience. It's a whole body kind of a knowing. So we're willing to feel into things. Um, even relationship-wise, if we're finding somebody who's available, who's who's open-hearted and who's transparent, we're going to see it in the way that they speak, in the way that they move. There's going to be a relationship that's developed. So I really feel like, you know, the, the tradition of yoga gives us all of that. But yoga as a tradition has become alienated in becoming an industry. So how do we get, maybe even it's not going back there, back to the tradition, but it's, you know, because we are in the 21st century. (laughs) So we're, you know, we've talked about this before. We're not just going to give everything up. I mean, some people might be able to do that. And this path is ultimately one I feel that includes room for it all. It's spacious enough for it all. When we're clear, like, like you've been talking about, when we're clear about what it is that we want and where we want to be going. And so to get back to the foundation, the, the fundament, the, the traditional aspects of yoga as all of these elements does that start i mean maybe you can speak a little more about that well um let's see (laughs) you know when you're working with somebody who's really seasoned i don't know that you can find it outside of the tradition honestly. And it's not that somebody has to be a disciple of a certain lineage. And, you know, honestly, for me, that's a turnoff when people become a zealot, but somebody who's been deeply steeped 
I know for me, um, you know, I want to like, I, I had the opportunity to study with teachers who were raised in the tradition who came from generations and their teachers came from generations. So there was a whole culture that came with it. And I, I was speaking to my husband Ray about this some time ago, um, that, you know, this sense of charisma and how certain teachers, you know, when I had the yoga studio, the yoga shala, it was always really interesting. Like, how do you find the ingredients of a good teacher in one teacher? Some were great students, great practitioners, but they didn't really have the juice to transmit it. They didn't have the energy. Some were great teachers and they didn't have the consistency in practice and they didn't have the capacity for interpersonal relationships. And it was really difficult to manage them, you know, I mean, as a manager of a yoga school. So, you know, and, and then it was just like, how do you find somebody who has all those things and then has the, the Shakti to transmit it? And it was very interesting because um, you know, my, my husband responded, well, that's something that you get from, from those teachers who carry the Shakti. So when we spend time with them, they're lighting us up, you know, looking at them and just being like, how are they, you know, where they are and what have they gone through and all the eddies that they pass through, um, you know, it gives us a, a, a a greater appreciation that it's not just a steady incline. And then any of those teachers are going to, they're, they're already integrating that stuff because it's always been part of the tradition. It only got watered down when it left the tradition. So it's a little odd for me to say, you know, to speak about because I didn't have watered down teachers and, you know, I was fortunate enough to get into yoga back at a time when it was really held in its integrity and there was a sense of continuity. Um, so I was stepping into something that was a lot bigger. And I feel really blessed because I can see people who don't have that foundation as they don't have sure footing. They don't have sure footing. So it's not so much that you must have a teacher and you must bow to the teacher, but the teacher really empowers you. And that commitment, that's when you're growing together. It's, a, it's an evolving science and it's based on love. So sometimes I would even go to see my, my teacher um, not necessarily, you know, certainly because I wanted to learn, but also out of love and reverence. And then there was always magic. There was always beauty. There was always teachings. And, you know, I was just like open to it and, and ready to be penetrated by it. And sometimes there'd be a pearl. And when I didn't understand it, that's when it was really interesting to me. And I'd be like, I got to remember this because I don't understand what they said. Was that helpful? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> because I, you know, I, I grew up in this world where the, the, it, it, 
the yoga, you know, yoga was out of context. It was out of the, it was separate from the traditional elements. And I too am very lucky that I had have really wonderful teachers that, you know, incorporate these elements in their teaching. And um, yeah, and I'm often, yeah, wondering just, you know, how to even speak about yoga as more than just asana (laughs) because also I teach asana you know and people come because they want to feel better and you know ways in which my own teaching I can start to include other elements not only the yoga sutra but also yeah the other the other disciplines in the large umbrella of yoga And, you know, people are, we're smarter than we think we are, whether we understand it cognitively. Um, So when you meet one of those kinds of teachers, if you're looking for it, you get it. And then it's really on you as far as like, am I going to make space in my life? And maybe it's very pragmatic that you can't do it right now, but you have the project of making that space and realizing that, okay, I'm going to dig into this and even like at first you're like, wow, this is so incredible. I've never heard this. And then maybe you'll hear it a bunch of times. Um, you know, can you, can you maintain the, the, the steady progress of being like, okay, why are they saying it again? What am I not seeing here? It's um, so much of what we, of what is transmitted is non-verbally. And even if you were to there and take like, you know, a copy of the yoga sutras and beat somebody over the head with it, that's not really the way that we're going to penetrate. There's a ripening process. So it is kind of the, the adventure and the challenge of offering yoga is to meet each student where they're at. So as teachers, we can drop hints, you know, and then we can create offerings. I know for me, when I had my general classes, at least a couple of times a year, I would have an immersion and people knew that they were signing up for something different than a a general class. And that's where I could really weave things in. And then you'd start the meet, like, you know, some might be annoyed or bored, most often not, but most were just like, oh my gosh. And sometimes you don't even know I'll, I'll see somebody decades later and they'll say, you said something that changed my life. You think I did? What was that? You know, let me know. So it is about it, about the time, timing for people and what you're embodying and weaving, you know, it, it just like, I can't imagine anymore teaching a yoga class without having the foundation of the sutra because it really brings back, it speaks to the heart. So yoga isn't so much about like, you know, finding your soul. It's about reclaiming your soul and living from that place where it's really coming from your own experience and your own desire. And what I found is, you know, over time, instead of like reaching for my wholeness, it's, um, it's like Yogananda said, I never break my appointment with God. And that, that yeah, sometimes it's hard and sometimes I, I don't feel like I have the energy. But when I get out there on the mat and, you know, or I do a little bit of study, 
it starts to light me up and fill me up. Like I never regret it. So it's, it's really the ritual of tending to the love inside of ourselves. So finding, you know, it, it, it is this heart to heart tradition and finding somebody who's really in love with the process and love with the, with the learning, um, you know, is going to ignite that for you. And then we just do it simply because it's the loving thing to do. So I think that's what we're really sharing. And we're never going to cover it all, but we can hint, drop hints about things and then direct students to other teachers or books or materials. And they're, they're pretty rare, the ones who are really deeply interested. But in some ways, maybe that's what keeps the potency as well. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it, right? right? <laughs> so it keeps a certain level of potency. The ones who are like, it's just this burning desire within them. And Patanjali in that sutra, Tivra Sambhaganam Asnaha, is like, if you're, if you really are deeply in touch with that desire, um, success is already within reach. It's like, you're already successful if you're living with desire, Brilliant. Thank you so much. <laughs> Anything else you want to add to our conversation today? Um, community is so important, but also the autonomy is so important. As it said, whole, we offer ourselves into the whole. So, you know, having, working with a teacher, for me, my teachers have passed, but I can access them through their literature and things like that. You know, I have my regular study, I have my practice, I have the class aspect, um, the conversation I would think, you know, actually is what lights me up the most is having the conversations and preparing for those classes. All of these are ways that we can keep um, fanning that fire. And I think that that's really important. So, you know, it, it, it takes time to dial it in, but it's out there. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I had students who worked with me for many years and they were like, I can't find a teacher who touches all this stuff. And, I, and then I'll say to them, then maybe you have to be that teacher. So then they really take it on even more and they step into that role. Okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's it just, it resonates so deeply in my heart. It's like, I'm just going to say again what you just said, but whole, we offer ourselves into the whole. That is so important to remember. And whole doesn't mean that we don't have you know, cracks and things like that. Yeah. 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 It yeah. doesn't mean perfect. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> Thanks, Shanae. Thank you, Bhavani. Until next time. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. For more information about Bhavani Maki and her online and in-person teachings, including the Yoga Sutra Wisdom School, 
online Patanjali Yoga Sutra mentorship and her continuing classes and trainings, please visit www.bhavanimaki.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening. Jalaruha mitra jashatru netram kalusha pa